I V M. Every other week, I witness a large plume of smoke from waste burning in the industrial area I see from my balcony at home. I report it, and nothing happens. One sees overloaded and poorly maintained vehicles, spewing smoke, and many a times breaking down, causing long jams, and then the resulting pollution. Bans on polluting activity and norms for operating facilities are constantly defied, and one wonders who is actually responsible for the air we breathe. Welcome to Peak Planet. I'm your host Karthik Ganesan and a researcher at the Council on Energy, Environment and Water. As we found out in our last episode, the air is mostly harmful across the length and breadth of India. The focus though is on some mega cities and some hotspots. Even with all this attention, we have barely managed to address the issue in the cities and the discussion is invariably Delhi centric. Let's try and learn from the mistakes that Delhi has made and perhaps one or two things that actually work here. In our third episode, we discuss why we have bad air in our cities and how our authorities have been unable to act on the sources of pollution. For this, we speak to prominent advocates of air quality and an employee of the Delhi Pollution Control Committee, the body that has the unenviable task of keeping Delhi's air breathable. I'm warning you ahead. The recurring theme of this episode is going to be why, why, why do we continue to have poor air quality in our cities? Okay, let's get started. We speak to Santosh Harish, a fellow at the Center for Policy Research in New Delhi. Santosh works in environmental and energy policy with a special focus on addressing air pollution. We asked Santosh, why hasn't Delhi crashed and burned yet and who's keeping us on ventilator support? Arguably the single most influential agency that's sort of been responsible for much of the progress we've made or at any rate the decisions we've taken um has been the judiciary. Uh, I don't have a doubt in my mind about that. Um so uh that has its pluses and minuses the 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 pluses are that you've had an uh, you've had a, uh, an arm of the government that has been willing to sometimes make very tough choices uh stay invested keep checking on how various things have gotten implemented or not uh pulled up people so so those are the pluses and then so we've managed to uh push ahead on on a bunch of different things the negative is that uh it's not obvious to me that the judiciary is the most well suited for for this particular process um for a for a bunch of reasons one uh i i think uh in terms of accountability uh there there's something to be said about how the political executive would would likely um be forced to be more transparent make make tough choices but then uh, also do it in a way that sort of balances different interests and so on um something that the judiciary has uh, not particularly been good at is sort of the transparency of the process uh, air pollution uh, at least quite often uh, has to be dealt with from a somewhat technical lens um it's not obvious to me that the judiciary can ever do that um and uh, even when it comes to sort of balancing interests making sure that uh, the the most vulnerable vulnerable groups are not adversely impacted they have a mixed record uh, and uh, so i think that's been the problematic part of the judiciary now uh, who has uh, uh, who should have pulled their weight and, and haven't it's 
precisely the political executive, right? I mean, uh, the judiciary has basically stepped in and various actors have tried to channel their advocacy efforts through the judiciary, primarily because the government, uh, the politically elected government hasn't been doing an awful lot. Um, and uh, I think they are, they, they remain the missing piece in this, in this puzzle. Uh, so, uh, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this more over the course of this uh, podcast. But um, when, whenever we talk about uh, enforcement being weak or uh, decisions not being taken at, this, at the pace that they should be, it ultimately boils down to the government not being sufficiently interested. We turn to Anumita Roy Chaudhary. Executive Director, Research and Advocacy at the Center for Science and Environment and leads their work on air pollution and clean transportation. CSE has been at the forefront of many an environmental campaign in the capital region. Anumita gave us a one-on-one lesson on what are the rules and regulations that govern air quality in India. So air quality governance is really the issue that everyone is uh, talking about and something that we really need to fix and understand, right? Now, if you really look at the legal frame today and then what are the legislation, what is the legal backup? to air pollution control, then of course it goes back to the Air Act, which came in 1986. And then if you co-join that with the Environment Protection Act, which also came around that time, which also have some additional uh, powers and authorities, if you combine the two, then you get that legal frame for air pollution control in this country. The question is that whether it's uh, adequate whether uh, we have been able to exercise the legal powers uh, to the extent that we should have to be able to get clean air or not. And that really requires some understanding. You may have got the Air Act in 1986, but it took 20 years to build value for clean air, which also means that you can't just find a legal solution like that. You can have laws, which is an enabling part of the story, But for the law to kick in and to have meaningful results, you need a lot of other things uh, to be put in place. Now, what has the Air Act really allowed you? It has uh, allowed you to have standards uh, for air quality, um, emission standards for polluters, uh, to some extent, a compliance mechanism for polluters. So if they don't meet their standards, emission standards, then you have got uh, some civil and some criminal action against them. And uh, those are the basis on which the Central Pollution Control Board and the State Pollution Control Boards have been functioning so far. What has happened in reality that uh, somehow it has not helped us to get that national clean air framework, a governance framework, which based on the act and the standards should have enabled us to set clean air targets for cities and regions, okay, which is going beyond setting emission standards for polluters like industry, automobile industry for the power plants. That's a different kind of compliance mechanism and you, and that is happening whether we are doing it well enough or it still needs improvement, that's another matter. But who takes the responsibility for meeting the ambient clean air quality? That is truly the missing link today. Obvious question alert. Given that there are extensive laws in place and agencies are empowered to tackle air pollution, we ask her why is air pollution still a problem? It's very true. Today, 
that is the common and that is the public perception and that is also the reality, right? That uh, we have laws, we have policies, but we are not seeing the change on ground, right? Now let's try and decode that a little bit. I don't think it's such a simplistic uh, answer. It is not like uh, it's the government is not interested. I mean, that is like being too oversimplistic. So what, how do we understand this? So let's first look at the mandate part of it, that do we even have policies in place to do the right things? What is very interesting, over the last few years, um, if you did take the time frame, so the last, this decade particularly, we have actually seen quite significant improvement in policies and regulations in this country. So today, if you really look at um, um, uh, the high-level policies, the national-level policies, um, then this is the one major vehicle-producing country in the world which has taken the decision to skip Euro 5 and to go directly from BS4 to BS6 by 2020, just giving industry three to four years to make that transition. That's really dramatic. We know that the country has improved the emission standards for power plant. We know there's a big renewable energy portfolio unfolding. We have got the uh, uh, the uh, uh, construction uh, rules, uh, demolition, uh, construction waste rules and demolition uh, waste regulations. We have got the solid waste management rules, right? All these, and if you really look at uh, the lines and if you read through these uh, policies and regulations, uh, including the policies like national urban transport policy, national habitat standard mission, they read fine in many ways, and they do have the principles, uh, they do have the mandate that you and I would like to see in a policy, okay? So policy language, policy principles, policy mandate, all of these have changed. And that is also to a great extent because of the whole conversation that has evolved in this country in different sectors that have bearing on air pollution. Even though so many things are happening across sectors, but the governance system has not been able to bring a good synergy and alignment across the sectors. So as a result, what happens today, for air pollution control, you look at Central Pollution Control Board, you look at the State Pollution Control Board, but when they go down to do pollution control, then by whatever convention, they only look at industrial pollution control. In fact, I still remember the erstwhile planning commission had actually made a comment saying that the Central Pollution Control Board is actually Central Industrial Pollution Control Board. As you can see, there are lots of missions, rules and standards in place to make our cities more livable. That we can't deny. Santosh then gave us a quick rundown on the sources of air pollution, how they are typically managed. Look, um, I think one of the, the, the hardest challenges uh, with tackling air pollution in India uh, is the, the sheer number of different sources, right? Um, and, and I think uh, there are sort of three very stylized categories here. You have those uh, which are traditionally regulated in other parts of the world too. So you're the industries, the vehicles, the power plants, and so forth. Um, uh, so let's let's call them the the modern economy type type sources. You have things like household sources of uh, emissions, people burning uh, firewood on their chulas or for for heating water, for for keeping themselves warm during the winters, um, which are primarily attributable to energy access challenges and poverty and 
so on. Um, and then you have a third category, which primarily stem from uh, poor planning or governance more largely. Uh, poor urban planning, uh, poor handling of waste, um, roads not being well asphalted, uh, and therefore leading to road dust. So, so you have these th three somewhat distinctive groups. Um, and uh, the, the, the challenge, of course, is that if we need to make progress, we need to be able to make progress in all three kinds. Uh, so the enforcement challenges are therefore going to be very different across these three. Uh, so, so let's take um, industries, for example. Um, so there, uh, you actually have a, a somewhat traditional environment regulatory setup. So there is an act, there are a bunch of rules, there are a bunch of protocols, there, is a, there are pollution control boards that are tasked with, uh, with, with enforcing standards of a certain kind, there are processes to do it. Um, and, and yet, uh, I think there is this uh, sense that uh, it has to be a sense because we don't get to see their operations very clearly. That, that they're failing somewhere. That that implementation of these norms haven't been uh, haven't been strong. Um, and uh, so, when we think about enforcement, I think you have the, the the challenges in implementation capacity itself, right? So there is there is something that needs to be done and that doesn't get done. There is the question of whether whatever it is that should be done. Um, is is well defined in the first place. So if you have a bunch of rules that are uh, that are difficult to implement from you know, sort of a common sense understanding of the world, then you shouldn't be surprised that they were that they that they failed. Can you give an example? So uh, in the case of um, uh, let's say industrial uh, uh, emissions, once again, right? Um, basically, the the way it's it's been set up is that. If so, uh, the way industrial emissions regulation happens is that the pollution control board essentially provides a consent uh, that lays out uh, the uh, standards that you are expected to meet. So, uh, in, from your chimneys, the the concentration of the pollutants should not be above a certain number. Um, if it is above this number, uh, the pollution control board uh, should enforce with like a various uh, with, with with various. Uh, in, in various possible ways. So this requires two things. One, your ability to monitor it and, and measure what the concentrations are. And once you've measured it, take appropriate action. So, so let's try and take these apart. Now, uh, historically, the way the monitoring has been done is that somebody climbs up the chimney, takes a measurement, takes a physical sample, goes back to a lab, measures it. Um, this can only be done once every few months, once a year. Uh, the uh, the pollution control boards have limited resources, so the frequency inevitably is is, is not is particularly high. To the extent possible, from from what I understand about their functioning, they try and target the known polluters, people they expect to be non-compliant. But it's it's impossible for them to uh, follow the the norms as has been laid uh, in terms of frequency of inspections, right? Um, so monitoring has various challenges. Um, you then have the question of enforcement. If somebody is found to be non-compliant, what can the pollution control boards do? They can initiate polite correspondence, you know, show cause notices and so on. So they send a letter, somebody sends a letter back, and then that goes on for a while. They can shut access to uh, power or water. They can shut down the industries entirely. 
or they can initiate criminal prosecution because the pollution control boards have no powers to actually levy fines uh, to the industries. So as a consequence of this, um, the pollution control board is, is, is stuck between a very weak form of enforcement and a particularly harsh form of enforcement uh, uh, in terms of shutting people down and so on. So there's no way for them to act in a proportionate manner uh, against uh, non-compliance. So as a consequence, uh, a very large number of people are let off with a wrap on the wrist and the, the most egregious polluters are acted upon. Uh, so, you know, I mean, this is clearly a failure in enforcement in some ways, but the failure in enforcement is set up by the fact that the rules allow them to do certain things and not do certain things. Um, and so uh, in this instance, unless those rules are changed, uh, you'd, it's, it's unlikely that this particular equilibrium is going to change. It's possible that the rules will change and still those things remain, right? Um, so, uh, but, but, but there is clearly a case to be made for both uh, the rules uh, setting ourselves up for failure in terms of enforcement and in the, the implementation capacity itself having various challenges or gaps. Um, and of course, we're also being super polite here. Uh, there's, there's also the case that uh, at least sometimes, uh, possibly oftentimes, there is the question of corruption and, and uh, uh, pollution control board officials um, willingly uh, sort of being lenient on, on, on polluters. Uh, and, and that's almost another can of worms. Right? We had to hear from the horse's mouth on why regulating air quality and keeping it at acceptable levels is a challenge for the one organization that is explicitly tasked with it. We speak to Mr. M.P. George, who's been a scientist with the Delhi Pollution Control Committee for more than two decades. Actually, when we are talking about this enforcement, we are talking about a city which has the geographical location about 1,400 square kilometer. Population is something about two crores, which have the vehicles number is more than almost a crore. <clears throat> 30,000 kilometer of tarred road. So we have different sources. As far as the enforcement is in question, different stakeholders working on it. When you talk about the city of Delhi, you have different action plans also. And uh, like uh, greater response action plan, comprehensive action plan. And of course, even this, uh, this is monitored by the uh, Prime Minister office directly. Now comes the question, then what's the problem? Penalty is, yes, we are doing it. Environmental cost, what we see, polluter pays principle, it is happening. But uh, I believe it is the, it may be used at deterrent. Otherwise, if I'm going door to door and finding 50,000, one lakh or two lakh, recovery is the problem. Why can't you sort of go there and make them pay? How? You can, what you can do, say maximum, sure you can give the notice. And if it is industry or any trade place, you can close down. That's possible. But for the recovery of this amount is through the revenue department. That land recovery base, you have to do it. So it's a very lengthy process involving different stakeholders. Okay. So it's okay. So you're saying if you levy a fine, yeah. it's actually some, bit, some other department that actually goes and collects the money. Yeah. 
DPCC does not have the authority no, to actually appropriate funds. No, no, no. What you can give the notice and you can say ki you have to submit it to the NGT or CPCB or DPCC. If he is submitting it, it's good. Otherwise, then if he fails to do it, then you have to complain to the revenue. When he says he can levy a fine, what he actually means is that they can impose a compensatory charge for a pollution incident that has already happened. This is often contested as the basis for determining these charges is not clear. A fine can only be levied when the judiciary steps in and empowers the pollution control board concerned. If you talk about the DPCC or any state board, they have their enforcement. They have the, they, they are uh, powers under different acts. So they are working on it. Now comes the question, infrastructure or the number of the people is sufficient or not? Yes, they may be. Uh, and uh, for that way, you can say any state board in India, yes, they are not, uh, uh, there are manpower crunches there. And uh, they have some limitation of the funds. We looked up the RTI section on the DPCC portal and found that there are less than 30 scientists and engineers working at DPCC addressing the pollution issue in our national capital region. The city of Mexico, for instance, has nearly 200 people tackling the issue on the ground. So clearly, the manpower crunch is evident. You can say that vision and mission is not very clear. Actually, these are all state boards working on the firefighting mode. Today, they may be rushing behind some hazardous waste. Tomorrow, there will be some fire on the landfill site. Or some order from some court about some industrial area. So, this is the issue. Our major stress is uh, on control the pollution from the industries. But I think when we see the problem of Delhi, we have to, our industries are very small, very tiny. We have to concentrate on other things also. I hope you all heard that. Anumita said it earlier and now Mr. George. The basis for setting up the pollution control boards were to control industrial pollution. Industrial pollution is just one of the sources of pollution for cities across the country. We don't have a clear strategy for addressing the remaining sources. Finally, we asked Santosh and Anumita what their take is on the way forward. There's a national plan and a growing clamor for clean air. We need 10,000 people on the streets in a peaceful rally to tell our political overlords that we're serious about clean air. How do we bring them together? So somewhere along the line, awareness related to the problem has certainly grown. Question is whether the awareness related to the, pro, uh, the reason, the cause behind the problem and the solutions have grown sharply enough or not. Broadly, people will tell you, I mean, it's no, it's no rocket science for anyone to understand that there is dust in the air, there is construction happening, waste burning, um, vehicles are, um, you know, the numbers are growing, industry, power plant. I think if you ask anyone to just map that out, they will map that out for you. The deeper challenge today is with the building awareness regarding the solution of the problem. And I think uh, that's where we really are facing a lot of problem right now. That what is it that you bat for and, and publicly and for people to understand and relate uh, to that solution. Now, the, um, so today they are coming out and saying we want clean air, but when but it's but that voice is not strong enough when there is a pushback on any strategy that is needed. Okay, I mean, it's very interesting. I mean, this whole winter, Delhi has been fighting for uh, 
Um, and so much conversation has happened. People going around with their monitors, mapping and they're saying, oh, we are breathing, want to run away from the city, right? And that's the general thing. But say something like parking policy, which is part of the Cleaner Action Plan, and it is getting trashed by the Delhi government, it is getting uh, held up uh, in all the different forums, okay? There is not even a whisper of public support coming out strongly enough, except that one or two RWAs and the Uja kind of groups who have actually publicly said that, no, we support the policy, right? Now, that's where the um, weakness is today, that uh, we are not being able to mobilize public opinion around the solution. And the other part of the problem is that when the solution demands change in lifestyle, that is even bigger challenge. So I might be beating my chest that I'm breathing dirty air and I want my air purifier and my mask and I want to run away from this city. But if I have to pay higher parking charges or if I'm asked not to take out my car one day, then the hell is going to break loose, right? So somewhere there's a disconnect. Somewhere the ownership over uh, the, uh, you know, the solution also kind of biggest. Now, of course, People will say that, well, systems are not in place, but then there are a lot of intermediate steps the government and the country and the city needs to take for which you need to uh, build public support. And people should be doing that. I think that's where the missing link is today. Yeah, I mean, so uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm something of an optimist. So I don't actually think that everybody's in cahoots. It, 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 uh, like with any organization, there are folks who are uh, who genuinely... Uh, you know, let's say within the pollution control boards who genuinely uh, want to work towards a cleaner environment and, and are uh, trying their best within various constraints that they have. Um, you also have people who are who are corrupt and are, are, are colluding with the, with the plants. Among the industries too, there are various uh, plants that uh, go above and beyond whatever is expected of them um, and, uh, and take great pride in sort of their greenness or whatever. And there are those who don't care. So, so there is obviously that kind of a diversity. And I, I don't think we need to be super pessimistic about uh, how the system is sort of uh, inherently uh, sort of structured to ensure that everybody is, is polluting. If I were to ask you to sort of set a target for what we think we should aim for, what would you do? To be honest, I think that 30% is fine. Uh, I think that's, that's not... Uh, that, that sounds more realistic than something that would be higher. I think that would be hard to accomplish too uh, in, in five years. Um, I don't think the uh, NCAP's lack of ambition is in the targets itself. Uh, NCAP's lack of ambition is that it doesn't fundamentally change anything uh, about how we have approached air pollution all these years. Uh, the, the only thing it does is, I think, take the action beyond Delhi. So it identifies these 101 other non-attainment cities. Uh, that's not to say that those are the only non-attainment cities. Uh, it's also not obvious to me that cities are the way we should be looking at it. In fact, I think that's misplaced too. Um, we want to be treating it as, as regional problems. Uh, we, want, uh, we want some uh, significant structural changes which allow us to be able to tackle these effectively. We need to be able to prioritize actions better uh, something that we've historically done is to basically list out various different measures that you can take for uh, for different sources and put it on paper. So there's an action plan which lists all these things. 
But in the absence of being able to prioritize between these, um, efforts are going to be super dispersed. So we'll once again go back to this problem of saying, well, we have a plan, but the, it's not being enforced or implemented. Uh, so, so yeah, so I think all of those things need to move and that's where NCAP is lacking in ambition. In terms of targets, look, it's really hard to say, but if, if we were to actually reduce pollution levels by 30% in five years and uh, we are able to say this with some degree of confidence using the data and so on, uh, that would be a good outcome. Uh, air pollution is something that we can uh, realistically tackle well and, and bring to acceptable levels over a course of maybe a decade. What is clear is you and I are as much part of the problem as we are of the solution. We need to demand more accountability from the agencies tasked with air quality. And at the same time, in everything we do in our daily lives, we must factor in the implications for the air we, air we breathe. In the next episode, we discuss two important issues. Does such a thing as a green cracker exist? And how do we address this episodic incidence that plagues most of India? And the tougher challenge of burning agricultural residue in the winter season in North India. Thank you for tuning in. And thanks to Anumita, Santosh and MP George for giving us their valuable insights. Peak Planet is available on iTunes, SoundCloud and Spotify and other platforms. You can know more about our work at CEW.in or follow us on Twitter at CEWindia. Hi, I'm Sariyu Natarajan. And I'm Alok Prasanna Kumar. And we are the hosts of the Ganatantra podcast. On this podcast, we speak to academics, social scientists, journalists and activists to find out what's actually going on in Indian politics. On this podcast, we stay away from personality politics, intrigue and gossip and instead focus on the data, research and analysis that drives all this. So tune in to the Ganatantra podcast where new episodes are out every Wednesday on the IVM podcast app, website or wherever you listen to your podcasts.